Welcome. G'day, guys. Welcome back to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. I think I just get so much joy in sitting down and chatting with our various guests, and I hope that you're enjoying them as well. As always, we'd love any recommendations you've got for different people you'd like to hear from, uh, people with incredible stories or areas of interest for you. So get in touch with us over at humansofagriculture.com. Today we're at the Australian Organic Conference. We're sitting on the lands of the Yagra and Turbul people. We took uh, the opportunity to sit down with Gary Leeson. Gary is the Innovation and Business Development Manager for Organic Crop Protectants, a company that he has built an incredible history with. He joined them back in 1993 and for 25 years built the business to be a leader in the organic input space before selling to Yates Australia. Gary grew up around agriculture, so it's always been a huge part of his life. He's passionate about getting the right tools in the hands of customers to help them to profitably convert their farming operations to certified organic production, while ensuring that we continue to meet um, and adapt to the challenges that we face on a global scale. Now, I'll be honest, some of the more technical aspects of this podcast went completely out of my head initially, but after listening back, uh, it, it's such a fascinating space and I think um, the chemistry behind what they do is just in, incredible. Gary helps us understand some of the more fundamental pieces of organic farming. What are some of the challenges as well, how his business has needed to look globally, uh, to the US especially, um, when it comes to looking at the latest research and development and science to help them progress. Although organics is still only a small industry in Australia, they have just a remarkable story and an ability to connect both what's happening in the, inside the farm gate with what's happening with retailers and consumers. So this was just a fascinating chat. I think uh, I got a lot out of it. So can't wait for you to hear it. Enjoy it. You've been quite the man of the show here today, haven't you? you I've had a few questions, haven't I? Yeah. I should shut up. And you know, people think this guy's a bit of a know-it-all. Anyway. I think my favourite part was actually when we were chatting just after lunch before and uh, Martin came out and was like, uh, you're meant to be on yeah. stage. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so many conversations to be had. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's obviously 30 years of being in this industry. It's sort of, there's a lot, to, a lot of knowledge to share. And, and we, don't get, we, we, we really don't get together very often. We used to a lot with the road shows that we were doing you know, 20 or 30 years ago in the regional centres. But now you know, it just seems to be we want to you know, come together once once every two or three years for these conferences now. So, Well, this is the first one for the Organics um, AOL. Yeah, yeah. We had one in uh, Lismore. We tried to kick off a conference in Lismore. That would have been, oh, gee whiz, 10, 15 years ago, which was a great event, but then we never had another one since. Yeah, okay. The road shows were quite good because it allowed, allowed us to get out to the growers rather than them having to come into the city to a you know, hotel like this. quite expensive. Yeah. So the road shows were great. They were smaller you know, half-day events and then you'd be able to jump in the car and go to the next town and, you know, talk about organics in the next, you know, regional centre. So so I'm hoping we might be able to do that again, like alternate. They're thinking about alternating, I think, the, the conference every two years and maybe we could throw in some, some regional roadshows yep. in, uh, in the other year. So I think um, it's an interesting one. Like today, we're just coming to these different conversations for the first time. Um, I think it's really important to kind of set set the scene and get that convers- like the grounding conversation and then it's how it flows on yeah. from there. Yeah, and it's I guess, you know, I suppose the theme is around transformation, but you know, it's it's been an evolutionary process, I guess, with the organic industry. I don't think you can transform things, particularly in the ag space, things don't happen 
quickly. Yeah. But we've been evolving, yeah, for, as I said in my presentation, 50 years of knowledge sharing in this space and I think, you know, it's slowly it's evolving. Um, but I guess we've got to speed up that process now that, you know, all this talk of sustainability and carbon farming and the climate and issues and everything else, now, now there's a big interest, you know, from the corporate sector and, and so we've got to really capitalise that on as an industry, you know, to, to be able to, you know, tell that story about what organics has been doing for the last 50 years and how... There's brand equity in organics and, you know, we have the know-how of how to create a brand in that space and, and monetize it. And, and it's an industry and organics as a brand is so, I'll say, misunderstood in terms of people think, in terms of farming practices. As soon as you hear the words organic, you think, well, even today so with your business, which I'm sure we'll jump into in terms of organic crop protectants, but, like, in, in terms of the industry, there, there's some real innovation happening in terms of, yes, we're, we're not doing these practices or implementing synthetic fertilizers or yeah. chemicals but there's there's other ways yeah look it's um i guess you know there's two ends of the church i guess in the organic industries as there is in any industry there's sort of got the extreme sort of view that we should never you know have inputs or you know there's a certain way that we, we just utilize the natural processes and then there's the other end of the of the church which is about you know we've got to we've got to meet a yield target We've got to be a profitable business, so how do we do that? And we need to have those inputs to allow us to achieve those yields that are reaching conventional or, or surpassing conventional in some cases. And that's, that's you know, the talk from, you know, Wayne down in Tassie that we used to talk about the lettuce, you know. He's, mm. he's, he's got the best lettuce crop in Tasmania now. Like his yields are, you know, 2% losses due to, due to disease. Yeah, so, you know, that's a, that's a typical example of what's happening now in this space with organics is if they use the right inputs... The tools are there, like to achieve conventional and beyond, because we are looking after our soils and we're, you know, doing, doing the things that the plant really wants. Yeah. And you know, that's you're going to get your bang for your buck. So, have you always, and I think probably flipping flipping it back, have you always been involved in organics and around agriculture from a young age? Yeah, look, um, I come from a farming background. Like we farmed um, small, we had small crops and cane farm down in northern New South Wales in Ballina. We had a cattle farm at the back of uh, Lismore. So, yeah, I've always been in, involved in, in agriculture. And I guess, you know, coming from that small farming background, I suppose, you know, I guess I understood quite early that, you know, you've got you to have a bit of diversity in your farming practices because you're not going to make money out of just one crop. You know, you're going to have to do some different things on farm to, to, make, to make a buck. And I guess that passion, I guess, for, for, for smaller farms... Um, it's sort of, I guess, you know, how I thought about when I was doing my hort science degree, like how do we, how do we give value back to, you know, these small small farms so they can survive? Because you just see, you know, these farms being bought up by other larger farms and, you know, those families moving off and you never see them again. So you lose that community yep. as well in those environments. And, you know, that's, that's a loss, loss to all of us. You lose those, you know, families leaving those farms. So how do we bring that back, you know, and that's, that's creating value in the products that they're, they're producing and that's why organics, to me, was an opportunity to, you know, create that value. Mm-hmm. And, and your career, you jumped around a little bit before you ended up kind of landing on your feet with organic crop. Yeah, organic. look, I think, you know, I was a failed civil engineer actually from in the, in the beginning. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, then I went back to the farm and, um, yeah, basically um, I knew that sort of, you know, farming's in my blood and... And um, I was picking macadamia nuts, crawling around underneath macadamia trees, and thought there's got to be something better to do. Yeah. This. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so a mate of mine who was actually he was going to do hort science, so I said, "Oh, that sounds like me." So off we went, and he 
him and I went um, did horse science at Hawkesbury and yeah, then I got a job. Well, I've, I actually um, specialised in post harvest technology because that's really an important part, I think, of horticulture. And it was mentioned today about the whole issue around food waste, yeah, and how do we how do we store produce and how do we give it the shelf life that's needed, you know, rather than it being reach a certain point then it has to be dumped. Yep. So I, post-harvest technology is really interesting um, to me and that sort of then I got a job in the Sydney markets as as um, young guys sort of trying to do things differently for some of the wholesalers with uh, control atmosphere storage and all that sort of thing. And anyway, that, that failed dismally because I couldn't get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and work through till 1 o'clock in the afternoon. They were very long hours. Um, so then um, in the produce markets there was a... A gentleman who had a marketing uh, business, um, um, which was representing Sunkist Oranges and Kiwi Fruit Marketing Board, and so yeah, I got a job with him, and um, yeah, it sort of sparked my interest back in marketing and produce because I actually did a marketing elective in horse science as well. So it sort of then I got into sort of the sales and marketing side of things, and then I got a job in Southeast Asia selling fertilizers, and so I guess that that sort of background sort of then. What do I do now? And anyway, this um, gentleman was starting up organic crop protectants, which is what, 30 years ago now. I said, that looks interesting. I'll give that a crack. And yeah, I stayed with it. Because I guess there's that passion, you know, for, from, from my early days. And this looks like something I can really use as a platform to help growers and, and achieve, you know, the things that we talked about, which is around adding value uh, on small farms. So. Well, on that piece of having multiple jobs working in different industries and stuff, like a lot of our listeners are kind of, I'll say younger people or earlier on in their career where they are thinking about making changes or taking that next step. What was it about taking those steps that really kind of helped you succeed when you got to organic crop protectants? Yeah, look, I think I think the most important thing you can do as a young person is to get as many experiences as you can. Like, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, whether it's behind a bar, whether it's working in retail and Kmart or, you know, packing packing shells, whatever, there's always there's always something you learn there, you know. There's always an interaction you have with a different, another person, you know, idea sharing, whatever, you know, in a business setting. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's just it's just that aspect of just just get out there and you know if the opportunity arises, just take it. Because when you're young, it you know you just go and do it. You don't think about the consequences, particularly you know if it's around a job opportunity. And I guess you know the Southeast Asian thing was like I didn't even think about it. I mean, there was no one over there. It was just me going there to sell fertilisers to golf courses in, in between palm oil plantations. I, sounds interesting. I'll give that a crack. And that, yeah. and that then, I guess, you know, um, it allowed me to get really confident about working remotely and on my own and, you know, just finding your own way. And, I, you know, those sort of experiences really build your character and, you know, give you that confidence to keep stepping out of your comfort zone. And so what was organic crop protectants like back in those early days? It was the very beginning. Well, we had, we had one product, um, which was Sinatrol oil, which was made from locally grown canola oil. We had, at the time, one rep, dear old Ollie Hall. Was, um, if some of, you, some of your listeners would probably know Ollie. He was an um, ex-Wallabies um, player, a big country rugby player as well. And Ollie was, um, was our rep sort of selling, selling Sinatrol into the cotton growers um, up in the in the We War sort of area with, um, we, basically it was, a, it was an adjuvant that was used to reduce the rates of other, other chemicals, in particular at the time glyphosate mm-hmm. was like, I don't know, it was like $800 for a 20 litre drum. And so growers, yeah. you know, were trying whatever they could to reduce the rates, you know, and still get the kill, and Sinatrol was mixed um, with, with glyphosate and they could reduce their rates, you know, by 
20, 30%. So, so that, yeah, that product took off. And it also helped when you're mixing with other insecticides and improve the um, spread and sticking of the insecticides. So, you know, it just gave, the, it gave them a much better kill. So from that product, then we developed, we were seeing that even, you know, with, with particular types of uh, insect pests that were in the crop, um, the use of the oil was actually suffocating the insects that were in there, even though they were using it, say, with a fungicide or whatever, they were getting reduced mite populations and things from the use of the Sinitrol. So we thought, okay, well, let's let's look into it, and yeah, basically we we're discovering it, you know, suffocating all these uh, small smaller insects like thrips and mites and white fly, the juvenile stages. So that's when Eco Oil, um, which is the product we sell now in the home garden and everything. Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported. Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low-cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. That's where that came from. Gotcha. And we, we added to that with a... Um, um, I went to a conference in Melbourne. It was probably, probably no, it'll be over ten years ago now. It was a pheromone. It was an insect, it was a semiochemical conference, which is all about uh, the signalling messages of insects and how you know plants talk to each other and insects talk to each other through pheromones and you know all these volatiles are released. So, so anyway, that spurred my interest in what, what sort of things could we add to eco oil to make it you know more effective, not just as a suffocant. Um, so we've did some work with um, uh, Charles Sturt University and discovered uh, there was a, these volatiles that are produced by plants that um, when they go under attack, um, and they produce these volatiles which then attract parasitoids and beneficial insects into the crop. So that, huh. that sort of then spurred my interest in the whole pheromone thing and then I got involved with ISCO out of Riverside with their, all their pheromone technologies and the bee product, the Apis Bloom, and yeah, so... So, you know, these little sort of pathways to, you know, where you end yeah. up, it's quite interesting. Bloody hell. Are you a, a sciencey kind of fella? I'm a bucket chemist. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. fascinating. Like, yeah. a, a lot of the stuff you're saying is going over my head, but in terms of, look, it makes a lot of sense in terms of... Yeah, look, um, the whole area of um, pheromones, um, you know, it's, it's a fascinating area. And, it's, and really the work that ISCA, for example, been doing with um, their technology with bee pollination work, which is quite quite um, you know, a topical issue at the moment with varroa mite. You know, they're saying there's going to be 80,000 less hives um, available to, you know, for pollination this year. It's, um, it's, a, it's a real issue. So, so these sort of products are quite, quite important, I think, for the industry because um, it actually – how it works is like it's, it's, um, it's a pheromone of um, – it's produced by bees and it's what's called the Nasanoff gland. And basically bees put it out when they get searching for food. They put this pheromone out for other bees to – to tell them that there's good food source, good pollen or nectar in this particular area. So the bees follow, the worker bees follow that scent. So this mimics that, that process. So these little dollops of, um, it's like toothpaste matrix sort of material, and we just splat it out with a machine called the 
splattergator. <laughs> <laughs> so we splat that out in the crop and that yeah these little dollops and the bees sort of find their way to the to these dollops but while they're there they're obviously you know pollinating and doing what they need to do so it forces bees to move deeper into crops so you get more uniform um pollination activity rather than just going around headlands and not you know not flying right through the crop so yeah it's an interesting interesting area of you know the way these sort of pheromones can be utilized Oath. Do you see, so with, with the products that you guys are selling, obviously they're organic certified, but do you see a lot of conventional farmers actually using them, like your cotton? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so majority of our actual users are, are conventional growers wanting to, you know, adopt more bio-rational type practices because they know, and I, I mentioned that in the, you know, during the sessions that, you know, product stewardship and resistance management of um, existing pesticides, you know, it's a real issue. Like we need to be... We need to be adopting, I guess, ways where we can, you know, reduce the frequency of use of, of um, the chemistry that we've got because it, it takes a long time to develop new chemistry and a lot of money. So, you know, the use of biologicals in, in between those applications of, of the, um, you know, the more, I guess, um, what would I say, sort of, they're not some, it's, I could say effective, but it's sort of, you know, they, are, they, are ten, they tend to be sort of more long-lived in the crop. Um, whereas the biologicals are shorter lived, um, but they in rotation they do the job. Yeah, particularly, you know, where you've got high insect pressure or high disease issues. Um, so you want to be not using that chemistry too often. So that's where the biologicals fit for the conventional growers that you know that haven't been able to reach that ecological balance in their crops because they're still relying on that chemistry. But slowly we're getting them off that, mm. uh, and that's when they can then start thinking about the steps, next steps into organics. Can you just break down? So when you're saying the biologicals, what are they? Like, what is a biological? Yeah, well, I guess it's anything... Um, well, we consider it... Um, so biostimulants, for example, like seaweed extracts and that sort of thing, they're, they're biostimulants, but they're biologicals. But I guess from my perspective, biologicals are things that um, are used to control a pest or disease in a biological way. So um, whether you... You probably wouldn't include insects in that because there's obviously companies that... That breed insects, which you introduce into crops to control, you know, they parasitize and predate uh, insects. But biologicals, in my view, are things like viruses, bacteria, um, yeah, pretty much, uh, and fungi. Um, so there's 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 a whole range of different types of what we call entomopathogenic fungi, which basically get into the exoskeleton of insects, and the and the fungus just takes off and it kills the insect. Um, Metarhizium rileyi is one of those which has been looked at at the moment for fall armyworm, which we bring in from uh, Andermatt out of out of um, Switzerland. But um, so there's yeah the fungi side, and there's the bacteria, which is you know generally BTs like Bacillus thuringiensis, so Diapel, you know like a lot of our listeners would know, your listeners would know those products, so the bacteria based. Um, and then there's the insect viruses that I talked about in my presentation, which are highly highly selective. Um, they're bred on the particular insect uh, that you want to control, like Heliothus, for example, uh, which is you know cotton bollworm. Um, that's so you grow the virus on that on that um, caterpillar, then you harvest the virons and put that in a drum, and, you, and then you spray it back out in the crop, and it it kills the, the Heliothus. Yeah, wow. And it's very just. And the beauty of it is is that it it just only kills Heliothus, whereas say for example a BT like a bacteria Bacillus thuringiensis. It'll kill all the lepidopteran pests and and the beneficials. So yeah. 
If you've got nice butterflies and moths, you know, which are a natural part of the ecosystem, they're gone as well. Yeah, okay. They get killed, but in the case of these viruses, only the particular pests that you want to target. And so there's things like fall armyworm, you know, which is we've got a big problem with at the moment. There's one for that, which we just brought in recently. Yeah. And um, and the, as I said, the, the entomopathic fungi, the Menerism morallii, also does that on, also works on fall armyworm. So we've got, we're building, I guess, a, an armoury of these biologicals, which we can call on to control these pests, which is, you know, as I said in the beginning, it's it's really, we have the tools now to, to almost, you know, reach those levels of conventional pest and disease control. It's incredible science and innovation. Yeah, it is. You know, that's, there's people working really hard in the background to, 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 you know, bring these products to market. The problem is, you know, is the, is the regulatory hurdles are quite high, uh, even for these safer, you know, um, less toxic products. You've, you've got to go through the same process as you would for a, a conventional pesticide. So, so yeah, you've got to, you know, the, the market trigger is, you know, how big is the market? Well, you know, organics is not big. So yeah. you've got to try and rely on the conventional agriculture to adopt these practices to make it worth your, worth your while to register these things because in some cases it can be half a million, million dollars, you know, just to register something that's almost like a food-grade material. Wow. So for example, we, we um, had to go through the process of registering potassium bicarbonate, which is a food-grade material, yeah? It's used in cooking. Yeah. And it took, took three, five, no, five years of research and development um, and the license and the cost of registration was about a hundred thousand, um, not including all the other things we had to do. So it ended up, you know, close to three hundred, four hundred thousand to get EcoCarb registered as an organic fungicide, potassium bicarbonate. Yeah. You know, so those sorts of things, you know, it, it just it stifles innovation in this space. Um, and I know, you know, in the US EPA have a have a sort of a fast track and a a simpler way for these biologicals to come to market. And I think that's what you know we really need to be looking at here in Australia, because it is quite a problem that growers can't access these technologies um, cost-effectively. Because we've got to invest that money, we've got to recoup it. Yeah. So we're going to have to charge the farmer for it. And so how much of your work is working with, say, international organisations and groups, given that the Australian market for this isn't huge? Yeah, how how much... uh, ..work goes on with grabbing things from overseas? Yeah, well, that's the thing. We have to rely on overseas technology. Um, Love to do it here. I you know, love love to be able to you know produce those products here. They you know the semiochemical side of things you know is, is something we we'd really love to do in Australia. But yeah, the market's just not big enough, yep. and that's and that's why I guess you know the the bigger ag chem companies of the world have that big advantage over smaller companies that are based in Australia because they have got a global market for their for their active constituent. Mm. You know, and they, the trigger for investment is there because they've got this global market. Yeah. Whereas we're you know working. Here in Australia, just for the Australian growers, yeah. Um, unless we've got that access to the global market, and so why don't you have that access? Well, you know, it's just that we, yeah, we're just we're small Australian companies. Like we'd yeah. like to take that step, but yeah, it's a, you know, it's the regulatory hurdles Jeez, there as well. Yeah. You've got to get your base first here in Australia, and then try and expand out into into the markets um, overseas. But yeah, it's I guess. You know, it'd be nice to get some um, some investors to sort of help us in that space. You know? Yeah, I would just nothing but others, obviously plans here. We'd all like some investors, wouldn't yeah. we? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, um, just on the so around the organic industry, this regen ag is a really growing movement and mm. across all facets. So, what's the role of organics in this regen ag? Yeah, movement? good question. Like, I guess I guess the whole regen sort of things has sort of blown up because of the climate issues and carbon farming yeah so regenerative is sort of you know it's it, 
it's about the soil. It's about capturing carbon and you know doing doing what's 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 needed in that space. So, but you know, even with carbon farming, there's still you know that biodiversity issue. You know, I don't know whether you saw on the ABC. I think it was foreign correspondent last week. They were talking about um, insect getting. You know, the, where there's basically seventy percent reduction in insects in in Europe, yeah, right. which is part of it is agriculture, part, part of it is more well, land clearing, and you know, but a lot of it is you know, pesticides and the way we've you know treated treated our agricultural systems, and mm. um, so you know, there's more to that story. You know, it's not just carbon farming, regenerative ag. It's it's about biodiversity. It's about all those other, and social. And the social aspects of farming as well. You know, I talked about small farms and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, you know, that's I guess you know, a regenerative organic brand or label certification captures all of that. So you've got the organic thing, which is all about biodiversity and animal husbandry and and you know, small farm and and, and I guess that diversity in farming, etc. But capturing that big part of the regenerative side with the soil carbon and everything else is I think that's where we need to move to like you know we've got all this sustainability sort of you know things going on and everyone's sort of jumping over the top of each other to try and capture that that funding that's available for farmers to to show that you know they're doing things sustainably yeah but as I said you know the sustainability emperor's got no clothes like we can't just be sustainable we've got to shift the dial you know into organics and then our, the real end game is that regenerative process of really changing the landscape and, and repairing it, you know. And that's, that's what I think regenerative organic can offer. So after so many years involved in agriculture and off that last point, like wh- why are you still so passionate on, and seeing the opportunities still in agriculture that you're still involved? Yeah, look, you know, I'm a, I'm a parent, you know. That's, that's basically it, you know. And I believe that, you know, for the, we've got to leave this, this planet in a better position than you know when I was born for my kids and their kids you know the next generation um you know it's it's important that we we get this right you know it's yeah. our lives depend on it our children's lives depend on it you know it's and it's and it's not you know we I sort of you know we we challenge agriculture but it's it's everything isn't it you know it's the, it's the whole petrochemical industries you know it's everyone we've got to be doing our bit and I think it like there's just such an opportunity in ag and that's why like I'm I love the work we're doing with humans of ag and just sharing the stories because it's how do you actually help unite and empower people and equip them with their story because agriculture has such an important role. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, farmers farmers are the custodians of their land. And, you know, we you grow up and you see, you know, that some things are not done right, but the majority of the time, you know, your, your parents are just trying to make a living off the land, but they know also they've got to look after the land. Yeah. And, but it's, um, it's a matter of, I guess... These days, sort of, how do we, how do we help? You know, the overall global sort of, you know, how do we fix it globally through, you know, what we do on farm. So, yeah. yeah. Um, two two questions to finish up on. One, I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. It's a big one. No, I think it ties into the future very nicely. Right. You get the chance to head down the road here and chat to Year Ten students about why they should uh, consider a career in agriculture. What would be your message to them? Oh, the diversity. You know, the opportunities. The, I'm, I'm sure people have sort of said this before, but you never stop learning. You know, in this in this industry, there is um, and there's so many facets to it. You know, there's so many areas you can go into. You know, there's the ag tech side of things. You know, if you're into data, you know that's there. You know, animal husbandry, crop soils. You know, it's just and yeah, there's just so much to learn and continue to learn. That's what I love 
I guess I'm passionate about is you know you never stop learning. That's that's what this industry is about. Yeah, only sharing and learning. There's certainly lots of opportunities and yeah. lots of interesting people to chat to and learn yeah. off. And and one other one, we're here for another a day or so. Is there a, a burning question you'd like us to ask people in the organics industry or, or something more broadly um, as we sit down with them? Oh, that's an interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I always think when I think of this question, I'd be like, oh, just ask someone how they are and just yeah. see their response. But yeah, yeah. People, you can go into as much or as little detail yeah, as you I like. Yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> I guess it's, yeah, it's all about sort of tell me your story. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. Love it. Right <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll ask someone that. We'll see what they come up with. Thanks, Gary. All right. Great. Thanks, all. I think I, I had a couple of key takeaways from that chat uh, with Gary. I think first and was just his different background. So being going and pursuing the civil engineering path and then actually going back into hort science and finding what he was really passionate about then opened up the doors to opportunities. And I think as we followed um, through his career, yeah, just those different backgrounds, um, going over to Asia and selling uh, fertiliser, which then started to complement uh, his work through organic crop protectants. And then coming full circle, I think the, the part towards the end was just around the science and innovation and the role, like the, where he started talking about the bees and how they're able to use um, these natural kind of pheromones to, yeah, attract the bees to then pollinate the crops. Is, it's pretty remarkable and mind-blowing. So would love to know what you think of these podcasts. It was slightly more in-depth in some areas. So as you'll listen to this, I'm actually up in the Kimberley. So next week, we're sitting down with Troy Setter. Troy is a remarkable leader in the ag industry. He's someone who just seems to be so busy. So we are leaving the organic conference behind, but we are staying in Brizzy for another week. So look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane, and we'll join you next week, wherever you want to listen to the Humans of Ag podcast.